to C3 Church Hepburn Heights. We believe Jesus Christ gives life to the full and we are called to live it and share it. We pray you enjoy this message today. So welcome to week two of our Go Beyond season. And so we're going to bounce out of today at a very familiar passage of Scripture, very very familiar portion of Scripture, and that's Matthew 14, the feeding of the 5,000. A fitting perhaps even cliche, maybe predictable place for me to land in relation to this beyond season. And so as a side note, whilst it's known and called and referred to as the feeding of the 5,000, that obviously only counted the men that were present. So in actual fact, this was actually the feeding of the probably fifteen or 20,000 people if we were to include all the children and the women present. So we're talking a sizable crowd here. Just good to have that imagery in your mind as we read. And so I'm going to read kind of a good portion here of that miracle. But at a birthday party for Herod, Herodias's daughter performed a dance that greatly pleased him. So he promised with a vow to give her anything she wanted. At her mother's urging, the girl said, I want the head of John the Baptist on a tray. Then the king regretted what he'd said, but because of the vow he'd made in front of his guests, he issued the necessary orders. So John was beheaded in prison, and his head was brought on a tray and given to the girl who took it to her mother. Later, John's disciples came for his body and buried it. Then they went and told Jesus what had happened. Verse 13. As soon as Jesus heard the news, he left in a boat to a remote area to be alone. But the crowds heard where he was headed and followed on foot from many towns. Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. That evening, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so that they can go to the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, that isn't necessary. You feed them. Now, the likely pathway, an albeit relevant pathway that probably many of you think I'm about to head in, is to talk about the biblical principles of contribution and multiplication. Is that Jesus wants his disciples involved in the miracle. He doesn't need them involved in the miracle, but he wants wants them to contribute. He wants them to participate in what he's about to do. Or we could head in the direction of multiplication, is that Jesus can do very little, very much with our very little. As little as a lowly bread and fish, Jesus can not only feed the crowds, but that there is not only enough, but there is leftover. These two biblical thoughts about contribution and multiplication are worth study and meditation and application and very apt at this time of year and in this season, are they not? However, when Holy Spirit directed me to this passage a few weeks ago, I found myself stuck and lingering in the preceding verses of the miracle. And I'm actually going to pick up again and draw our attention to verse 10. So John was beheaded in prison. And his head was brought on a tray and given to the girl who took it to her mother. Later, John's disciples came for his body and buried it. Then they went and told Jesus what had happened. Without taking a breath, 
As soon as Jesus heard the news, he left in a boat to a remote area to be alone. I want to stop in these three verses because that's what Holy Spirit prompted me to do in the very same way. Let's just deep dive a little bit here into this context and pause in it for a moment. These verses here tell us that John the Baptist is grotesquely killed, murdered. And why is he murdered? Well, he's murdered because Herod Antipas has reluctantly granted the wish of his stepdaughter, Salome. And that stepdaughter was persuaded by her mother. Now, this Salome character is likely only a teenager when she asks for this request. This same Salome character actually goes on to later marry her uncle and then her cousin. And so what we have here is we have an interplay of lust and chaos and revenge and ultimate family dysfunction. And so this interplay sees John the Baptist, who's been in prison probably around 12 months at this point, killed during a party because the king, Herod, wanted this request granted immediately because he wanted to prove his power. So he wanted the head to come out amidst the party. He wanted that head on a tray at request of Salome to come out in all its full macabre display, that this man has now been killed, see that he has been killed. And so this head, friends, this is head of John the Baptist. John the Baptist who is foretold in the Old Testament. John the Baptist who is revered in Christendom as the forerunner of Jesus Christ. John the Baptist who prepared the way for Jesus. That's the man we're talking about. That's the head of the man of the central part of this event. That is the John the Baptist that we're referring to. But let's bring it down even further. That is John the Baptist who baptised Jesus. (laughs) That is John the Baptist's cousin and friend of Jesus. So when Jesus hears the news... In verse 13, when Jesus hears the news, hears this news, that is the story, that is the humans, that is the complexity embedded in that news that Jesus is told by John's disciples, that Jesus' friend and cousin has been murdered. And so this is heavy, This is grief abounding. This is weighty for Jesus. But friends, there is a double tragedy here because as Jesus hears that news, he now knows that his own time is limited. He now knows that because John the Baptist is dead, that his own deathly fate is looming. So there is a double tragedy embedded in this news. And so verse 13 tells us that this is Jesus' response. As soon as Jesus heard the news, remembering that's what that news is, he left in a boat to a remote area to be alone. 
And so this gets me. Because our Jesus is hurting. Our Jesus is hurting. The news of this devastating event impacts him so that he needs to leave. He needs to retreat. He needs to be alone as soon as he hears the news. And we know that Jesus going to be alone, going to be in solitude, the scripture regularly tells us that that would have been Jesus wrestling, communing, praying with his father. So this news tugs at the humanity of Jesus, him as a person, so that this regroup, reframe, retreat moment is necessary and so I love what's modeled here and I know many of this for us this is a regular practice right maybe a practice that's been heightened even more so in the last say 12 to 18 months because of the global pandemic world we find ourselves in many of us have felt the very human very very appropriate response to retreat to retreat into our homes and families, to have seasons of soul care and and prayer in an attempt to make sense of what is closest and dearest to us. Many of us are amidst right now and have been wrestling with our own version of the news. What is your news you're in right now? What is this news that you are grappling and wrestling with? It might be a complicated family scenario for you. It might be emotional unrest. There might be financial instability, job and business loss. You may have personal health challenges. You may be amidst an identity wrestle. You may be grieving over lost dreams, lost plans, lost rhythms, lost travel, lost ones. You may be amidst a very deep and real concern and fear over what is to come. We're all in seasons of the news. Being human is hard, right? And I want you to know today that Jesus sees you And he gets you and he loves you through it. And he recognises the need for sacred retreat and he models it here. He is with you. He wants to be with you in that sacred retreat where you lament and you wield your way towards God and you pray the Psalms and you put on worship and you don't know what to say. He can be with you in that sacred retreat. But friends... There's a big old but in this passage. Are we ready for the but? A but is a large crowd gathering at the shoreline. Second part of verse 13. But when the crowds heard where he was headed and followed on foot from many Towns. Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. 
at the same time Jesus is grappling with his own emotions, at the same time Jesus is in the thick of grief and sadness, at the same time he wants to pull away from the crowd and put his own needs for a time first, at that same time Jesus comes back to the shoreline and sees the crowd Jesus sees, he sees the huge crowd, he sees the need, he sees those who have followed to find him. And this scene moves him. It moves him, it fills him with a great compassion, or as the Amplified says, it fills him with a profound compassion. Still unlike an emotionally raw, still likely wrestling, likely having every reason to hold up his hands and say, Hey crowd, not today, friends. Bit much going on. It's a bit it's a bit beyond me today. I've got to kind of deal with it's there's too many of you. The needs are too great. The compassion overtakes him. The call overtakes him. The overflow of hope overflows out of him and he heals those who need it. Jesus' seeing moves him in a very real, very tangible, very necessary response. So he responds to the need. And as the verses go on, He doesn't just heal those, that mass who is gathered at the shoreline. The response continues, verse 15. That evening, so he's been healing all day, friends. That evening, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place. It's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus says, this isn't necessary. You feed them. His compassion continues through the long hours. His compassion continues, even though the crowd at this point is probably hangry, probably undeserving, rowdy, chaotic, insurmountable. Jesus' compassion continues past the point of logic and practicality. His compassion is outworked in the little because that is what is surrendered. This is our Jesus. This is our good shepherd, he who we follow. So when we say we want to be more like him, friends, these are the attributes. One who sees and one who responds. Paul says it like this, Colossians 3.12, Therefore, as God's chosen people, this is you, holy and loved, clothe yourself, put on compassion, kindness, humility, Gentleness, patience. Our call, friends, our call as disciples, our call as believers is not just an invitation to be with him, 
but to be like him. Not just to be in the boat in sacred retreat. Not just having a moment of regrouping and prayer and wrestling and having our own needs met, but that we will be like him. Those that are filled, those that are clothed with compassion, those that have eyes of faith to see beyond ourselves and see the mass gathering at the shoreline. This is who we are. And this is why we will not put down the go beyond baton. This is why we might be able to say, oh yeah, that's old news. That was what we used to do. That's the tired thing. Oh, we're amidst a global pandemic. Go beyond isn't logical right now. We will continue to be a church who puts others first, who serves not is just being served, who will give our life away to find it, who will put our trust in He who absolutely will care for our needs. We will operate out of the overflow because there is more than enough. There may be every reason, friends, right now for you not to go, but goodness gracious, there is every kingdom reason to. This is us. This is our fingerprint. This is our legacy. This is our mandate. That despite there may be being every practical, emotional, logical, financial, human reason not to, we will return to the shoreline. With eyes of love, we will see those in need. And empowered by Holy Spirit, we will respond in compassion, in tangible and practical ways. So friends, whatever the news is that you are in the thick of, that you are grappling with, that you have been grappling with, I don't for a second want to underplay that. I don't want to ignore it. I don't want to deny the hurt, the very real hurt that is in the hearts of this beautiful community, you guys before me. I know many of you have faced recently hard times. And part of being part of our broken world is unfortunately this will continue. There are very real reasons in our homes, in our hearts, in our families to not return to the shoreline right now. And I'm not saying overlook these or downplay these, but I'm instead asking you to live in a paradox. A paradox that means at the same time, You can be grappling with what doesn't make sense. At the same time, you can have very real needs. At the same time, you can feel want to be compelled to look at the now and the here and the me. But at the same time, you can be others focused. You can be outward focused. At the other time, at the same time, you can give out of the overflow. One doesn't counteract the other, they coexist. We don't have to wait for this to feel perfect and ordered and clear and logical to give out of it. Faith requires us to take a leap, as we saw Jace do last week, a leap of trace, a leap of faith, despite the logic, despite the current. It's holding both the present and the future at the same time. So right now, friends... 
I am not going to be backwards in doing this today. Right now, there is an opportunity and a need for some of us to come back from the lake, back to the shoreline to move our boats back in the direction of the shoreline again, to see again with eyes of faith the masses that are gathering with very real needs. Many of you have been doing this for decades. Many of you have done this just this past weekend and have given out and have stepped in and have taken that leap of faith and trust. But there are many of us here who haven't. And I want you today to catch a hold of this, not as an inspiration, emotion abounding preach, but catch a hold of the Spirit of God that is here, that is compelling and drawing us back to the shoreline to ensure that these are the sorts of people we are. I want us to be those who see like Jesus, see the masses in our neighbourhoods, in our streets, in our schools, in our workplaces. See the masses up in the desert region plains. See the the masses across our oceans into Bali and Portland and Southern Africa and India. See the masses that are gathering with their hands outstretched, their hearts heavy, who are burdened by life and loss. And we could want to say to them, hey, how about you go away and find the need somewhere else? But Jesus would say, no, you give them something to eat that we will not only see, but then like Jesus, we will respond in compassion. Because friends, we have the answer. We have the overflow of hope. We have food for their weary souls. We have the overflow of hope that tastes like joy and peace. We have not only enough for ourselves, but enough for them. We can pray, we can give, and we can go because we have what the masses need. And his name is Jesus. So let faith rise in you again, friends. Let your eyes be opened again. That you will be clothed, you will be put, that compassion will be put on you. It will fill you. I'm praying that Holy Spirit empowers you to turn your boat around, move from retreat, see the masses gathering and that you will respond in Jesus' name. Because there may be many reasons not to, but this church will not pull down the baton of going beyond again and again because it is what our Jesus does and has called us to. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us here on our podcast. We encourage you to let this word further help you live and share the life to the full that Jesus gives. If you want to check out more about our upcoming events, service times, locations, or to give online, go to c3hh.com.au.